This episode is dedicated to our Kickstarter backer, Alyssa Bringas. Alyssa asked us to read the following message. The beautiful thing about treasure is that it exists. It exists to be found. How beautiful is it to find treasure? Where is this treasure that when found leaves one eternally happy? These are the words of the log lady. The answer is sign peaks. Her words, not mine. <laughs> the Other Side of Darkness is brought to you in part by Tweed's Cafe of North Bend, Washington, the real-world site of the Twin Peaks Double R. Stop by in person at 137 West North Bend Way for a slice of cherry pie and a damn good cup of coffee, and follow Tweed's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tweed's Cafe. This episode is also brought to you in part by one of my favorite pages, Daily Dale Cooper, your daily source for Twin Peaks fan content, photos, and artwork. Follow them on Instagram at Daily Dale Cooper. Welcome to The Other Side of Darkness, an episodic Seinfeld parody story that follows Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer on a dark and mysterious journey inspired by the work of David Lynch. The Other Side of Darkness is produced by Signpeaks. I'm Jesse, also known as Signpeaks, your host and narrator. This week, at long last, I am proud to present part one of The Other Side of Darkness. There's much more to come, so if you enjoy today's episode, subscribe, and tell your friends. Stay tuned after the show for this week's musical guest, Twin. Now, please enjoy Seinfeld, The Other Side of Darkness. What is a joke? Is it the same as a lie? Within each joke, there exists a seed of truth. A joke can be a way to say one thing and mean another. But who tells the joke and who listens? It has been said that life is a laugh and death is a joke. But what happens after the punchline? Signpeaks presents The Other Side of Darkness, Part 1 the gift. We're obsessed with dreams, aren't we? It's <laughs> so even in our language. Anything we want, it's the dream thing. You find the dream job, you save up for your dream vacation. Women are always looking for the man of their dreams. How about him? Ooh, he's dreamy. <laughs> then you get married, you have a dream wedding, you buy a dream house, then you live in the dream. <laughs> Of course it doesn't always work out. You ask out the dream girl and she hits you within your dreams, pal. Yeah, keep dreaming. I like the way they do dreams in movies. There's always a lot of fog, isn't there? What are we at, a white snake concert? Somebody's back there with the dry ice? Of course, real dreams are never like that. There's never anything interesting going on. It's stupid stuff. Driving, waiting in line, going to the bathroom. What makes our idiot brains think we need more of these experiences? Isn't it enough we have to spend our waking lives bored out of our skulls? No. Every night our brains are going, we have to be ready for any eventuality. 
What if you run into Roy Orbison at the bank? What do you do? What do you say? Roll the simulation, go! New York Street, morning. Jerry and George take a casual stroll down a quiet city sidewalk. Hey, how much human flesh do you think you have to eat to be considered a cannibal? I think the second a bite of person touches your lips, that's it. What? No way. You think that the people who crash in the mountains and have to eat each other to survive are cannibals for life? There's no maximum daily flesh allowance. Once you're a cannibal, you're a cannibal. It's like losing your virginity. You're crazy. I think if your plane goes down in the Amazon and it's down to you or the other guy, you're entitled to a one-time cannibalistic act. Boy, the hells you're willing to die on these days are really starting to worry me. They pass the window of a small flower shop. The camera lingers on the window as Jerry and George walk out of sight. After a moment, we slowly pull in toward the window, eventually moving through it and into the shop. Morning light streams in, casting delicate shadows on shelves of tulips and roses and shining on a pink lotus peeking up from a small clay pot. We move in closer to the flower until it fills our view completely. The flower shares the pot with four broad green leaves and a lotus pod, a round flat-faced seed head dotted with a dozen holes, each containing a dark brown seed. A watering can comes into view, filling the pot slowly. Two gloved hands place the can on the counter, then reach in, gently stroking the young pink flower. We creep closer and closer to the seed pod until we are fully inside one of its holes. There is just enough sunlight to reveal movement in the darkness. Suddenly, the shop lights switch on. In the stark fluorescent light, we see a swarm of small black ants scrambling across the seed, devouring a small silkworm, which is struggling in vain to escape. Jay Peterman's office, morning. Peterman sits cross-legged on top of his desk eyes closed in a meditative trance. Om, Mani, Padme, Hum. You wanted to see me, Mr. Peterman? Elaine, you loquacious bond swallow. Come in, have a seat. Elaine, I had a dream last night I wish to share with you. A dream that may be of great interest to you. A dream so vivid and haunting. Its every detail will not leave my mind's eye, try as I may. As your employer, I feel it is my duty to relate it to you now. Okay. In this dream, I found myself in a dark room. A great glass window stood before me. Through that window, I could see a young woman sitting in a kitchen, shivering in the dead of winter dressed in scraps, holding an infant. She was weeping, Elaine. Both she and the child were crying tears of inconsolable pain. 
and in that moment I was no longer merely a witness. I was that woman, and she was me. We were one in mind, body, and spirit. Elaine leans in, eyes wide in fascination. I felt all of the sorrow, regret, and anger she had felt in the course of her unfortunate life. And yet, holding that child, another emotion began to emerge. A feeling that emanated a golden glow within my soul that seemed to grow slowly, ebbing as the tide on a moonlit shore. It was the glimmer of hope, Elaine. Hope for a brighter summer's day. Elaine places her hand on her heart, deeply moved. You see, Elaine, it was then that I recognized the unmistakable identity of that young, wretched woman. It was... Yes? Uh-huh. Splendid! Wonderful! Thank you! Elaine, it seems a workers' strike in Taiwan threatens to delay production of our Tibetan summer scarves. <laughs> Be a chum and sort that out, will you? But, Mr. Peterman, the dream! Who- That will have to wait, Elaine. There are certainly more pressing matters at hand. You've got a plane to catch. <laughs> I, you want me to go to Taiwan? The laborers demand a face-to-face -face with management, and by God, they're entitled to it. <laughs> Elaine stands to leave. And Elaine, I would not pack lightly. These labor disputes tend to last for weeks. Best of luck. Jerry's hallway, morning. A blonde woman in a long black coat walks down the fifth floor hall of 129 West 81st Street. She stops at Kramer's door, casts a furtive glance over her shoulder, and knocks three times. Well, hello. Are you Cosmo Kramer? Uh, I might be, but I might be a lot of things to a lot of people. And who might you be? My name is Juliet. Juliet Sakamano. Kramer's jaw drops. Mr. Kramer, I desperately need your help. Can I come in? Jerry's apartment. Morning. Jerry sits at the table behind the couch, scribbling in a notepad. Elaine leans on Jerry's bar stool, eating pretzels from a bag. Hey, what do you think of this? He reads from his notes. The hermit crab to me is the bare minimum purchase you could make and call yourself a pet owner. It's just a step above a rock. Really, you're saying, I don't have time to take in an animal, feed it, raise it, love it, cry when it dies. Skip to the end, just give me the headstone. Elaine shrugs. It's funny. The death part's a downer. Really? You ever had a pet die? It's devastating. It's like losing a parent. I never had a pet. Hmm. No pets. No siblings. And yet somehow you became such an empathetic, well-adjusted adult. Just lucky, I guess. What's this for, anyway? Oh, I'm going on Conan O'Brien tonight. Ooh. Conan, huh? Yeah. Elaine places a comforting hand on his shoulder. 
pick up? Jerry musters a weak smile. Elaine turns and notices a potted lotus flower on Jerry's kitchen counter. Hey, what's this? A delivery guy just dropped it off, said it was a gift. From who? I don't know. He didn't have a name or a note or anything. Ooh, does someone have a stalker? Comedians don't get stalked. Our hours are too irregular. You can't sneak up on us. Elaine leans in to get a closer look. Hmm. What? There's a label on the pot, but it's faded. What's that say? Jerry tries to decipher the name on the label. Nirvana? No, 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 no. There's a K at the end there. New Yorker? Would the New Yorker send you flowers? Noreen? Wait a second, Noreen, your old friend Noreen Kelly! Remember she flirted with me when she was dating the high talker? I don't know. Why would Noreen send you a potted lotus? It is peculiar. Elaine checks her watch. Shoot, I gotta go. My flight's at three. So Peterman's really sending you to Taiwan. This couldn't have been a conference call? He says the workers deserve the courtesy of an in-person negotiation. But they don't deserve two bucks an hour, or air conditioning. What can I say? The man's a cartoon. Well, have a nice flight. What's that, 12 hours? 18, with a stopover in Tokyo. Oh. Hey, if you catch Super Terrific Happy Hour, make sure to tape it for me. <laughs> Jerry turns and walks to the kitchen. He glances at the far, unseen wall, then opens the fridge for a snack. Suddenly, he freezes. After a moment, he closes the fridge. Then he turns back to the far wall, staring at something we cannot see. He looks almost directly into the camera. His expression is difficult to interpret. Confused, shaken, or even terrified. Finally, Jerry shakes his head, wipes his eyes, and turns back to the fridge. Kramer's apartment, midday. Kramer pours a drink for Juliet. She reaches into her purse with trembling hands and retrieves a cigarette case. Do you mind if I smoke? Kramer withdraws a pack of cigarettes himself. Be my guest. Got a light? Always. Kramer flicks his lighter, but the flint fails to ignite. He tries this again and again, each time with greater exaggeration. Finally, he gives up and lights her cigarette with a nearby candle. Now, walk me through this. Start from the beginning. It was 2 a.m. The night before last. The phone rang. Bob answered and took it to the kitchen. He sounded... afraid. Someone was... Screaming at him, I heard Bob say he would make it all back. He said that at least five times. They hung up and he just 
stormed out of the house. I haven't heard from him since. She wipes a tear with her handkerchief. Bob's a good man, Mr. Kramer. But you know about his gambling problem. He's tried for so long to stop, but... This time I'm afraid he's taken it too far. Kramer watches Juliet intently. His cigarette slips out of his mouth and splashes down into his glass. Mr. Kramer, I don't know where Bob's gone, but I have the most dreadful feeling he isn't coming back. Kramer reaches out and takes Juliet's hand. Now, you listen to me. I've known Bob a long time. If anyone can find him, it's the K-Man. You just leave everything to me. Juliet nods, wiping a tear. Now, where do we start? Do you have any leads? Any of his associates or accomplices? Just one. I'll make the call. But, Mr. Kramer? Yes? Be careful who you trust. Kramer lifts his glass and flashes a smile. Oh, don't you worry about me, Julie. Kramer takes a sip, instantly gets a mouthful of cigarette ash, and spits it directly into Juliet's face. <laughs> Monk's Diner, midday. Jerry and George sit at the usual booth. George munches on some fries. So it's what I told you about. Took her for cocktails last night. Turns out she's one of these people that makes overcomplicated drink orders and thinks there's nothing wrong with it. Jerry isn't listening. Instead, he stares past George in the direction of the unseen wall behind us. As if it's completely normal to order a Long Island iced tea with no ice, two equals, and a sweet loaf. <laughs> By the time the waiter got to me, I asked for the check. Jerry continues to stare into space. Hey, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? You ever notice how dark that side of the coffee shop is? What do you mean? There's no windows on that side. Of course it's dark. No, it's more than that. It's almost like... Like what? I don't know. Forget it. What were you saying? Are you alright? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't sleep well last night. Kept getting that falling sensation, you know? Oh, I hate the falling sensation. Gotta be in the top five worst sensations. <laughs> Jerry nods with a half-smile, but has already stopped listening. He strokes his necktie absentmindedly. Hey, new suit? Yeah, I'm going on late night tonight. I wanted to break it in. <laughs> late night? Lots of people do late night. <laughs> Magicians? You're jealous of his hair, aren't you? Yeah. Kramer enters the diner, sliding into the booth next to George. Oh, well... Uh, a minute now, boys. Well, that doesn't sound like you. <laughs> no, 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 I stay out of trouble, don't I, Jerry? Keep to myself, try not to burden anyone. Long as I've known you. <laughs> Yet, despite my best efforts, I have found myself smack dab in the middle of a missing persons case. Missing persons? Why is it persons? Huh? Why not say people? Can we go five minutes without an aside? I think it's a legitimate question. See, this is why I get nothing done. You interrupt his thing, we spend half an hour on the person's people debate. By the time we get back to Kramer, my day's gone. 
fine, but I'm coming back to this. So anyway, this woman shows up at my door, says she's in trouble. And who else should it be but Bob Sacapeno's wife? Jerry, I didn't even know he was married. But you're so close. Well, it turns out Mrs. Sacramento hasn't seen Bob in three days. No phone call, no note, nothing. And get this, she thinks he was in trouble with the mob. The mob, Jerry. Well, if he's missing, why not go to the police? Isn't it obvious? George, the NYPD is so deeply entangled with the organized crime world, she doesn't know who she can trust. So naturally, she turns to me. I mean, what do I look like, a detective? Yeah, you haven't pretended to be a detective in years. Kramer points a finger gun at Jerry and clicks his tongue. Jerry's apartment hallway, afternoon. An apartment door marked 5E swings open, and a portly service technician steps out, wheeling a large cathode-ray television on a metal cart. He casts a cautious glance over his shoulder, parks the cart by the door, then turns and walks down the hall. His cap bears the words Plaza Cable in bold blue letters. Newman rounds the corner, whistling a jolly tune, and walks past the technician. The two exchange a subtle nod as the cable guy dips into a stairwell. Newman stops by the cart and runs his hand across the back of the TV set until he finds a latch. He pops open a compartment and pulls out a small brown paper bag. He looks left and right, then opens the bag, peeking inside to inspect the contents. A door opens behind him. Landlord Silvio enters the hall. Hello, Newman. Newman jumps, shoving the bag into his open jacket and quickly zipping up. Hello, Silvio. How are you this beautiful Tuesday afternoon? It's Wednesday. Ah, feels like Tuesday. Sylvia points to the TV set. What's this? You store junk in my hallway? Oh, this? Nothing to worry about. Just throwing out an old set. A boob tube, as they call it. An ironic expression, given the lack of frontal nudity one finds on most networks. Unless you get Cinemax. Well, get rid of it. And your rent was due yesterday. Neiman raises a fist in feigned surprise. Oh, damn! Of course! I will get it right to you. Silvio begins to turn around, then stops. By the way, is Newman your first name or last name? Newman shrugs and smiles. Neither. Kruger <laughs> Industrial Smoothing. Afternoon. George sits at his desk typing on a bulky desktop PC. Mr. Kruger enters. Hey, George. I am going out for some ice cream. You want anything? Are we meeting with the board in 10 minutes? No, I canceled that. Why? Kruger shrugs. Take an ice cream. Uh, All right. I'll have a rum raisin. You got it. Be back in, oh, uh, I don't know, whenever. Kruger exits. George listens until the sound of his footsteps disappear down the hall, then slides open a desk drawer and withdraws an issue of Glamour magazine. He thumbs through the pages, absentmindedly picking his nose. 
Yeah, this is George. Hello? May 16, 1996. Melody Stationers, 1070 Madison Avenue, New York. George rolls his eyes. All set on stationery, thanks. George Lewis Costanza. Excuse me? What is done in the shadows will be revealed in the light. Your sins stick to you like glue. What are you... Who... What... Behold, I come quickly. Return to sender. Goodbye. George sits in stunned silence. Then there's a recurring dream. That's a rerun of the dream world. <laughs> Our brains are too lazy to write a new idiotic situation every night. So sometimes they say, out oh, of hell with it. Put on the missing penis one from last week. No one will notice. <laughs> I keep having a dark well dream. You know that one? I'm in a cold, dark well, and it's filling up with this thick black liquid. It gets all over my clothes, and then I break out in boils. Then the boils burst, and my skin starts to rot. Were the boils not enough? Did we need the rotting too? If I wanted to spend all night thinking about my inevitable death, I would have stayed awake. New York Street, evening. Pedestrians walk up and down the sidewalk outside Monk's Diner as the sun sets. A blonde waitress steps out, adjusts the ribbon in her hair, and walks off down the street, inspecting her long red fingernails. The camera pans up to the neon restaurant sign and moves in, slowly, until we are inside the bright red cathode tubes. We hear the loud electric buzz of the lights as we travel through them, into the wiring, through the wall, and inside the restaurant. Through the glass of the fluorescent lamps, we look down on the coffee shop and its patrons. In one booth, two parents dine on big salads while their son needs a hot dog. At the bar, a crew of construction workers laugh loudly over their coffees. Drills right into a water main. Shit spews 50 feet in the air, and out comes his fucking keychain. I mean, holy cow! A busboy wipes down a recently vacated table, tossing a half-eaten plate of creamed corn into the bin. The camera floats across the restaurant, then rises up into the ceiling. In the dim light, we see hundreds of roaches scurrying over one another, racing back and forth in the darkness. We hear the scratching and scraping of their countless legs, the screeching and crunching of their wild, violent movements. We float farther upward still, into a sparse, darkened room, lit only by a desk lamp on a cluttered desk. On the desk sits a machine composed of a speaker, four switches, and a row of dials and meters. A long sheet of paper prints continuously from the side of the machine, producing a graph of some sort. An extension cord runs from the machine to the back of the room, where it plugs into a large steel barrel, out of which a thick black liquid 
slowly pulls onto the floor. Through the speaker, we hear a series of clicks, followed by a muffled voice. The switches flip on their own. The speakers play a recording of studio audience laughter. The switch flips again, ending the recording. The printer spits out a new reading. This happens several more times as the camera continues to move closer and closer to the machine. The voices become less muffled as we draw nearer. Guys, I gotta go. Finally, we are right on top of the device. Take it easy. Above the switches are crudely printed initials. J, G, E, and K. We hear a woman's voice. I'm, I'm sorry. We've already got a George. The printer spits out a new reading. This week's musical guest is Twin, a synth-based duo from Detroit. It's hard to fit them in a box, so I'll just say that their music conveys a rich sense of nostalgia, longing, and intrigue. You can find Twin on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud. Now, here's Twin with tonight's featured track, Move In.
The Other Side of Darkness is voiced by Michael Scudieri as Jerry, Ethan Dragon as George, Beth Maraver as Elaine, Mike Dowd as Kramer, Drew Grant as Juliet, Ryan Paul as Jay Peterman, Ben Murray as Silvio, John Cohen as Kruger, and Marcelo Botaro as Newman. Additional voices by Patrick Edwards, Jason Jerkwicks, and Victoria Menchala. Music by Cody McCory, Ivor Bowitz, Matthew McCalvin, Jake Bowman, Vaginals, Patrick Mahan, Patrick Edwards, and Robert McDonald. Subscribe to The Other Side of Darkness so you don't miss the next episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a positive rating and review on your podcasting app. You can follow Sign Peaks on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and join our Facebook group. Visit our store at signpeaks.threadless.com. 50% of proceeds for the month of December will be donated to the Fayette County Humane Society. And if you'd like to support this series, you can visit patreon.com signpeaks to get early access to episodes and exclusive merchandise. All links mentioned can be found in this episode's show notes. Thanks for listening. The Other Side of Darkness was made possible thanks to the backing of over 100 supporters through sites like kickstarter.com. Here are just a few of those supporters I'd like to recognize. Dean Verhayen, Warden Solbuck, Ryan Hodgetts, Jamaica Cole, Lily Schumacher, Thomas Monk, Mike Arscott, and Sarah Maxwell. If you enjoy this podcast, you might also enjoy watching Owen Wilson, the first podcast dedicated entirely to everyone's favorite catchphrase-loving comedic actor. Hosts Jake Menez and Michael J. Teeter make their way through Owen Wilson's entire filmography, rating each movie, counting each wow, and bringing in guests in an effort to befriend Owen Wilson himself. Find Watching Owen Wilson on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and at watercooler.com. You can also listen to Mike Dowd, the voice of Kramer on this podcast, on his own podcast, Welcome to Twin Speaks. Here's Mike and co-host Janine with more. Hi! I'm Mike. And hello, I'm Janine. And this is Welcome to Twin Speaks. We are a bi-weekly podcast exploring the weird and wonderful world of David Lynch's master hit TV series, Twin Peaks. We will be going episode by episode, really discussing the legacy of Twin Peaks that it's left for television and pop culture that maybe you've never heard before. And if you're someone like me, who's actually seeing it for the very first time, um, I welcome you to dive in with me with no spoilers as we go along and I avoid all the Google researching in what's to come with fresh eyes and fresh ears and bask in the wonderfully weird. Yes. And if you've seen the show before, you can see it through the first time through Janine's eyes. It'll be like it'll be like you're watching Twin Peaks for the first time. So grab a cup of joe, grab some donuts and some cherry pie, and join us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to Twin Speaks. The Other Side of Darkness is written, performed, and produced strictly as a work of parody. The Other Side of Darkness is not endorsed by Castle Rock Entertainment, Sony Pictures, NBC, Warner Brothers Records, Rhino Records, Lynch Frost Productions, Twin Peaks Productions, CBS, or Showtime. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Seinfeld, the Seinfeld logo, and all Seinfeld characters, story elements, and intellectual property are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and or copyright holders. 
The makers of The Other Side of Darkness make no claims directly or indirectly of ownership to any elements held by these trademark and or copyright holders other than original characters, story elements, and other intellectual properties created specifically by the makers of this podcast. Musical elements referencing themes and motifs from the original theme music to Seinfeld and Twin Peaks are created expressly as works of parody and do not imply claims to ownership of said music.